Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is my life now, doing Zoom calls um, with work and outside of work. So, <laughs> so have, have, um, have you watched that host um, horror film that's on Shudder? No, filmed no. entirely Filmed entirely on Zoom. Okay. It's, it's so far that's been done before, but yeah. having used Zoom so much this past few months, just that... I mean, I work nights and I spend nights on and Zoom meetings with other colleagues, so I don't know. <laughs> That's something I want to watch. Sitting alone, living alone, suddenly something's creeping up behind me. It's a, it is good. It's, because it's only do, it's done in an hour as well, so it's done like a Zoom call. It's, oh, Jesus. Yeah. it's really well thought out. It's just when stuff's happening, you sat there thinking, Hmm. I use this app. Yeah. I use this. Welcome to Young at Concrete Podcast, Simon. It's been a while. Thank you you for having me on. I know we've been trying to work this out for a little while and finally the delay lines of of, um, of ignited in the right direction or whatever it is they do nowadays well i think it's one of those things because i remember so obviously we met um it was a plastic brain press yeah and well was it, it was crash crash course and brain surgery that's the name um i've got your book right here look at that you know, oh, sending that. sending drunk texts also i know look at that and some very nice words and a note inside from you and everything um because i yeah i met you at that and that was that was a, that was a few years back and I, I think we floated the idea of sitting down and having a chat we did around. um and then obviously i mean at the time i work in a, a full-time job in retail and things end up getting pushed back and then obviously last year i did um my first show, Stained, which won the Hive Award um, at Manchester Fringe. And then I got made redundant. Um, and then it's just been sort of a, you know, everything's happened from there, as we all know. Yeah, life life yeah. kind of happens, doesn't it? Um, life finds a way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, a, I've been watching, because that's the thing, like we, we chat and we met and we, we had a few drinks and whatnot, as you do when you meet poets. Um, and then you kind of, you just seem to have this bit of a whirlwind of like you say, going, going up and doing Fringe and, and getting kind of your, your awards and bits for that. So it was just nice to watch from the outside as someone oh, who'd true. kind of come along to like one of your performances. I mean, I'm, I'm, I will be the first to admit I'm not a spoken word follower. I'm not a poetry follower. Um, yeah. Crash Course I went to because of the people who ran it and they, they kind of introduced me to more of that stuff. So you were one of the first people to ever kind of like come onto my radar of like, oh yeah, actually I might, it might be interesting to follow a, follow a performance artist and, and that kind of thing. What do you classify yourself as now? Because on the book, you're a punk poet. Oh. I think, on your original book, not your new book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's weird. Things have evolved. I mean, I'd still... I mean, the whole thing about the whole punk poach thing is it's because... I mean, obviously, you, you've now read um, both books, which we're going to talk about the second book we'll, a little bit we'll later. We'll get to that but, in a bit, yeah. yeah. And, you know, from seeing me live and from reading the work, not... I like to be direct at mm-hmm. times rather than 
using big fancy words. I just sometimes I just like to get to the point mm-hmm. of things. Um, and even when I did um, the show, which all been well, COVID being what it is, that should have been on tour this year. Um, so obviously you you wouldn't have had a chance to see it yet. But even with that, I thought I'm not going to mess around. It it was very direct. The the shows around. Um, predominantly tattooing culture and body modification culture around okay. prejudice around um not mental health in a bad way but sometimes what just people can go through when they're working high pressure jobs when it's some when they're trying to get to a point in the career that they want to be at okay um so again with that i didn't want to mince words some of it's very direct some of it came from my own life, some stuff that I've been through sort of in my career, I just sort of translated it quite easily over to the, the sort of world of tattooing and body mods from speaking with, um, I spoke to about five or six tattoo artists that I know of that put me in touch with people and mm-hmm. sort of sitting there just having these conversations being like, oh yeah, well I've sort of gone through this, this and this. And they're like, oh, well that's weird. Cause I've sort of gone through this, 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 and it, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it, it was weird sort of seeing how just a few things can line up to, from two very different worlds. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's, that's interesting to me just in terms of context of... Yeah, I, don't, I don't know why, but when I think of, of writing in any capacity, I never really think of research. I never really think of, of going out and exploring and, and talking to people to inform written work. I know it happens, and I usually hear about it when you... you kind of have interviews with authors um and they say oh yeah well i spoke to this guy and then i went and looked up this and it's usually from historical context it's usually i wanted to get the details right but from a more kind of abstract just getting the feelings of the kind of the cultures down that's quite interesting to me i mean obviously it might seem naive to many to many people for me not to think about that um, but yeah i mean that's 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 really cool to hear um yeah, no, it, it, it was really different because basically when I, won, when I won the world for the show, it was, um, I was mentored by a guy called Ben Moore, okay. uh, who's a fantastic comedy writer. He, he sort of came up at the same same time as um, Steve Coogan and Al Murray. So from that sort of like post-alt comedy, that, that yeah. early yeah. 90s block into the 90s. Um, and Ben was fantastic um, with me. He, when once he got his head around the concept, because at first I were going to write it completely differently. I thought it's going to be very linear in how we're going to write things. And Ben were like, "You're going to write yourself into a corner. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this." You need to. And suddenly it made sense, and everything just clicked yeah but even before that when i because i'd had this idea for the show for for a little while again i was just trying to sort of get it down and get it mm-hmm. formed i knew i would want to and have to talk to the people that were in the industry because they know the ter- you know this terminology they know these yeah. live stories they've got frustrations yeah and it's 
And I wanted to make sure that I did it as respectfully because I'm not a tattoo artist myself, but I wanted to make sure that, that I got their world as right as possible in yeah. a 60 minute show. I mean, I guess as well with that, because your style, I mean, one of the reasons I like your style is because you're, you're so direct because you do, you break it down and you, you kind of don't, uh, for lack of a better term, flower around it, whatever subject you tackle whenever you kind of go into something you i guess you maybe have to be more careful because a lot of people can hide behind a lot of fluff That's you it, know yeah. you can hide behind a lot of drapery and go oh well actually i meant this when someone questions you on it but when you, you when you're being very clear cut there's not much to hide behind <laughs> um which That's i guess it. i think might be interesting as well because like to me when i think of tattoo artists and when i think of body mods i think of that as a way of expression when you're unable to be direct in a way kind of you, you people yeah, use it I as a way of going well i can't be direct so i'm going to modify myself on the outside to say whatever the fuck i want to say um so it, yeah it's kind of a nice little conflict of, of yeah, contrasting definitely. ideas um yeah so how I mean how, how long have you got any plans with that is there is there due for it to move or develop yeah i mean because again the weird thing was because the show debuted last technically summer yeah i didn't get a chance to get it out before christmas because everyone at that time is getting ready for spring so yeah. this is in summer 2019 everyone's getting ready for spring 2020 so uh with the show, exactly <laughs> i did um i did one show at huddersfield with it mm-hmm. and that was at the start of March, so it's just as COVID was really starting to bubble. And then it was supposed to come home to Wakefield. Literally, I think I think it was supposed to be a week or two weeks after. And I start to feel a bit uneasy because again, it's when a lot of venues were starting to say, We're gonna we're just gonna see, we're just yeah. gonna see. I didn't feel too right getting nearer, but then obviously lockdown happened anyway um and as we know because that that rule of six is now coming we we can't even put it on now i've done some stuff on like instagram live i've done some zoom gigs but for me i don't want to put the show online just yet i would rather wait and try and get it back out properly yeah to an audience wherever as, as, yeah. as it should be yeah you yeah. know what i mean it's... i mean when you, when you think of your work obviously for the most part i've seen it written do you is is do you think the performance side of it as is is well words fail me right there is as important if not more important than the written side in a way when you make work so you got a new book coming out i mean yeah, that's no, going to go um, written for me it's the performance is always secondary um because like you've said there if if someone in idaho picks this book up will either book they're not going to seem to perform anytime soon um so it to me written comes before performance whereas writing the show yeah it was the other way around because the when you read the script, you can still read the script and understand exactly what's going off. Yeah. But because that was being written to be performed, 
I, I don't know whether, not in a bad way, but when you seem to form certain parts from it, mm-hmm. will that come across in the text? I think it does, not to sell my work short. No. Whereas with the two collections, they are, they're written. Yeah. That's their, the performance is a bonus. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting to hear. I mean, so we, obviously we've, we've glanced, we've done glancing blows about the new book. We, we may as well yeah. discuss, discuss the new book. Um, this, this, this one by this, oh oh he's got a printed look, look at that oh, look at that the poet from the Black Lagoon yeah by Simon Wood um, thank you to um, Melody Clark uh, who's done a fantastic job on the cover as always no spoilers but there are illustrations that she's done inside um, yeah. I don't want to give that away just yet. And obviously to Richard Daniels, um, who is a fantastic editor, a fantastic friend. They both are. Um, I couldn't ask again for a, for a better home for this um, for this book to be on. I think what's interesting I find about your work, Simon, is you you're a lot like me in the sense of you don't seem to do the same thing twice. Like so, your first book, sending drunk text while sober is obviously very personal to you it's very you know life embedded and and stories from your life obviously you're <clears throat> you're writing for your performance work goes into kind of body mod stuff which obviously you have some interest in or relationship within your own life but like you say you're not a tattooist or anything like that so you kind of you jump across to another topic and go cool what can i do with this topic and then you've done that again in your third one, because you've come across and gone, oh, Black Lagoon. We're going to go down, go down this whole horror that. aspect, um, <laughs> which brings us brings us nicely. I mean, is that something you you do consciously, or is that just it takes your fancy? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, like I said, the, the first book it was effectively it culminated the the first sort of four or five years of me writing. Okay. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of stuff that's in there that is personal. There's some stuff that's very political, which unfortunately is now very out of date because it mentions prime ministers who uh, disappeared into the ether. It'll always um, be relevant. You just switch the names, right? That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, and then let's like say I had the whole idea around some form of, show or some form of next writing around tattooing. I mean, the, the original idea for Stained before it became the show mm-hmm. was I was just going to explore different tattoo designs. I was going to, because I've got so many friends that have got so many different tattoos with so many different stories. Yeah. And originally I thought, right, it will be, we're going to take pictures and there might be like um, a visual aspect to it. So you'd have like the pictures of, so and so tattoo, and then I'd just perform something that was written about that. That's interesting. Obviously, the show changed into what it was, and yep. I'm proud of that. I love that. It obviously it won me my first proper yeah. award. It makes me legitimate. Yeah. Um, whereas the the new collection, in a way, it's still personal because, like I say, after I did the show. Um, I were made redundant in the months leading up to it. I was then made redundant. It was in another couple of weeks, and then I was straight off to Manchester doing the show. So 
in a nice way I had something to look forward to you know I'm like right you know what the job's ending fuck it I'm in Manchester now living it up I say living it up <laughs> it's Manchester in a week There's I mean what can you do in a week in Manchester well, what can't you do in a week um, and we sort of came back from there and then I think that's when things sort of sort of hit me a little bit I'm like right now redundant uh, I've done the show. I can't maybe do the show now for another six months. And it wasn't a fun time sort of last summer. Anyway, um, I felt sort of stuck in a rut. And yeah. one night, um, Carol Ann, my partner, turned around and she said, Come on, we'll, you know, we'll stick a film on because we, we, we try and watch a couple of films mm-hmm. every week, you know, stuff we haven't seen. And I'd never seen the the original Poltergeist, and it, it's weird because there's been there's legitimately been times that um, Kaz has rung places up. Um, I think she rang it were a university once. She was trying to ring to book something in. And she said, oh, yeah, Caroline. And the woman at the other end went, oh, like the little girl from Poltergeist. And she's had that a couple of times. And, I th- right, we'll sit down and watch it. And I, yeah. I loved it. And then I loved the, you know, the stories behind it. You know, did Toby Hooper actually direct it? Or was it Steven Spielberg? And was there a curse on the, on the production? No. <laughs> um, um, and then from there, we sort of, decided that we were just going to watch films that either I hadn't seen or that she hadn't seen or that we both hadn't seen and we'll sort of cross paths. And I ended up writing maybe four or five that um, originally I thought, oh, I'll make a little chat book up and we'll we'll bang a, a chat book out next. Well, sorry, that come October. So this was October 2019. Mm-hmm. The problem was I kept writing <laughs> and writing some would um, say that's not a problem. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I end up with about about seven or ten, mm. and I, I got back in touch with. Well, I'm, I'm always in touch with Richard and Mel anyway. But I, I turned around yep. to Richard and said, "This is what I've started. This is where it's going. I'm not really in a rush. Mm. I want to see where this goes over the next couple of months. But what do you think?" And they were obviously like, yeah, brilliant. Keep us informed. Let's see where it goes. Um, we got to the start of the year and things were shaping up a little bit more. Obviously, COVID hit. We were in lockdown, so it gave me time to really go back over it all and just really sort of hone down. And we, we came to the agreement that it was ready earlier on this summer and we said right let's get it out this October let's get it out for Halloween because I think we all need something to look forward to <laughs> yeah no, I think that's a, a fair way of looking at it um so obviously having read it myself or the majority in the in the time I was given second time I've had to do homework for this podcast <laughs> no, no, I had Jim Jim Sim on a couple of weeks ago and he, he brought me a book and I was like right, I guess I'm reading books now every time I do do a podcast um <laughs> So is it, I mean, it's a collection of, I guess, the way, how would you describe it? What would you describe it as? It's a love letter to horror culture yeah. and the horror community. A, a very elevated pitch. That's 
I, I mean, I think that's a fair way to describe it on a blank, a blank face of looking at it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think I've, that's in a way, like obviously your, your friendship to Richard and Mel, who I've had on the podcast and who I know, they, they also have a heavy invest in, in the horror genre as, <laughs> as it were. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to generalize about the, the type of people we are, but I, I think there's a type of person who enjoys horror. <laughs> it's it's for everybody. I know. Yeah. I know people go. Well, I don't want to watch it because I'm squeamish. Or I don't mm-hmm. like blood and guts. But horror is such a wonderful, broad church. You know, when you go from the old, you know, the classic Universal Frankenstein's and Dracula's mm-hmm. with Karloff and Lugosi and even the campy Vincent Price stuff to to stuff like Poltergeist to the even you know like the recent stuff like the Conjuring universe or Sinister. There's something out there for everyone. There yeah. really is. I mean at the moment I'm so I, I don't watch a lot of modern horror, I wouldn't say. When it comes to horror I'm I'm fairly old school in terms of that. I watch the classics and yeah. I enjoy that kind of stuff like Nosferatu is one of my favorite films. Um, and I watch, in a way I watch a lot of horror for the cinematography and for the effects. Well, German expressionism is beautiful. Yeah, it does. I mean, I studied film as well. So it's like, it's a big part of that. And I find it quite hard to invest myself in horror in a way. So it's, it's like making that disconnect, suspending disbelief. I find quite hard to do. Um, so when I watch things, I watch quite a lot of the old stuff. But I am at the moment rewatching X Files and rewatching the full length and breadth of X Files. And that as a series and its horror episodes, I actually find quite easy to get into compared yeah. to like a lot of modern stuff. Um, but I mean, as, as, as a good question, as a cheeky question, do you have a favorite horror? how long's a piece of string why is the sky blue (laughs) honestly it's there's so many that i love and enjoy we'd we'd be here i was um putting the world to rights over them but oh okay so Technically, it's sci-fi horror, but the ter- the first two Terminators, yeah, Aliens, yeah. well, the, well, Alien and Aliens, yeah. You know, I've seen them as a kid because they sound. When I first watched the first couple of Terminators mm-hmm. and the first couple of Aliens, I were only maybe seven or eight because it was just before the they did the, the mummy with brendan fraser yeah um which is another great film and oh they're fantastic <laughs> brendan true. fraser does not get enough love does that man um i remember watching them with my mum my mum sat with me and, and watched them so if it were too much just fast forward stop it or what have you mm-hmm. and even from an early age knowing it wasn't real but being fascinated with the way of how they've done things so for yeah. me it turned into effects so I, I love a lot of the stuff from the 80s a lot of the stuff that rick baker would do in a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that um, tom savini does um the sort of fantastic work that stan winston did um seeing how they put that stuff together 
Yeah. That's what I love. But even going back and watching, because I watched uh, Metropolis finally during the lockdown. Okay. Even watching Metropolis and thinking, right, this is made in 1922. Yeah, yeah. So it's like 1920s, a real early 1920s, yeah. yeah. And you look at that and you think, how the hell did they do some of it? I mean, a Mm. lot of it's just very basic camera tricks, but it just blends. Yeah. So, so well. Yeah. I think in a way, like to me, as because obviously horror, macabre, or whatever we want to call it, I think is quite a strange genre. So like yeah. when, when you think of other genres, you think, all right, so we've got, you know, romance, action, comedy, they're big, broad genres, and everyone has something in those genres which they can go to. And everyone can have something which they can watch. And they're all quite mainstream. Horror is a huge genre, as you said. Yet still, a lot of people just don't get involved with it at all. It's like, exactly. it's, it's literally off to the side. No one says, oh, no, I don't do comedies. No, nobody like bumps out and says, no, I don't do comedies. Everyone's You'd got one comedy. You'd be shocked if somebody said that. You would yeah. think something, you'd think it were, you know, it, yeah. it's an alien in, in, in human skin that's just come down and just said that. Yeah. But even the same with sci-fi. I think, you know, it's not everyone's favorite genre, but I think on some level, some people are, yeah, you know, everyone's got one sci-fi they watch, even if it's just something a bit casual and not, not too yeah. invasive. But horror, if someone says, like, no, I don't do horror, you're like, yeah, right? <laughs> that's, that's just you. And I think there's a strange thing. I think there's a very much, I don't know, a very specific type of personality which does get involved with horror. And I don't know if, I don't know if you agree <laughs> with that well, idea. No, no, I, I mean, I do because... I think for me, it, getting into horror and getting into some of the classic stuff, or mm. I say classic, when I mean like, you know, maybe like The Exorcist and, and The Omen and stuff like that, the, the stuff in this, the 70s is stuff that me, obviously my mum and dad watched growing up. So yeah. that stuff that was then fed to me, then I'd gone back and found the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, yeah. and the, the 20s stuff. That That's my own sort of deep dives. But going from there, and then getting into my music. So mm. even as a teenager, getting into Cradle of Filth, and then when you've got Danny Filth in interviews talking about Hammer Horror, Ingrid Pitt, um, yeah. when you've got Cannibal Corpse um, singing about, you know, like the old Romero, um, the old Romero trilogy and, yeah. and stuff like that. It's It just felt like a natural progression, but... Some, I mean, most of the people that I know that are into horror and heavy metal, black metal, death metal, are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. It, yeah, it's, and, uh, it's lovely. I think, you, yeah, there's a strangeness to that as well. I mean, as you say, like in the alternative music, you, I mean, you you do it one one way or another, don't you? You either get into alternative music. And then you suddenly find yourself watching horror films or you've seen horror films at some point in your life. And then you think, Oh, the soundtrack to this is good. And then you start watching, you start listening to Rob Zombie. And then all of a sudden you're down a a rabbit hole of Rob Zombie and everything else, which goes with it. Um, And I think that's, it's, it's a real nice coupling and the people, yeah, as you say, the people who, who are heavily into it, when you meet them, it's such a contrast because you're like, okay, well, we, we've got a weird obsession with death. <laughs> but all of us are just 
quite alive as personalities <laughs> and people. Exactly. It's almost like because we're trying to make up for it. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that's it. You used to have that sort of old stereotype of, oh, it's, it's the weirdo in the bedroom that's watching all these video nasties. And it isn't. It yeah. really, not that, not that I'm knocking those people out. If that's what, if you're an introvert, you're an introvert. If you're an extrovert, yeah. you're an extrovert. It's just, it's a beautiful contradiction in it that you can be into this dark, brooding, atmospheric gore fest. Mm-hmm. But you're a father of two and you go into the PTA meeting yep. next week and you've got That's involved with a nativity scene. That's what I love. I love when you get yeah. someone, especially, I mean, I've discovered this being single and you're on Tinder and you, you're kind of looking through people and going, all right, well, what are you into? Blah, 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 blah. And you discover their music interests and like, yeah, no, no, my favorite artists are like Ed Sheeran and, and a lot of like mainstream stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. And like, what films do you watch? It's like, no, I'm just really into horror. And you're like, oh, okay. That's, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's nice it's in a way, but then at the same time, like, I don't know why I, I kind of approach that as people and go, okay. I feel like there might be something wrong here. Like, <laughs> and I feel really bad about it because you, you're saying, okay, well, no, you, you've got this whole life and then you've just added in this horror bit. Whereas I feel like, I don't know, people who like ourselves, who've got everything in one genre, <laughs> easier to trust maybe because <laughs> you're like, no, you've worn it on, all in your sleeve, but you, you're, you shouldn't exist. <laughs> you're an anomaly. Oh, you're weird. Yeah. And Not that there's anything no. wrong because weird subjective. I, I mean, wanna... weird is weird, isn't it? I don't like. Oh, I, I, I wear, if, if someone wants to call it me weird for writing a, an entire collection based around horror films, I'll own that title. I'd rather be yeah. weird than. I mean, I sound, it, oh, I sound so 14 and this is deep. I'd rather be weird than mainstream. It's, I think this is a conversation we've had since we were 13 and up into it's like you, you know, you start yeah. getting called weird at some point, and then you're either like, okay, well, I've either got to fully embrace weird as, as people yeah. see it, or I've just got to start asking them what they actually think weird is, and then you sound really pretentious. And you keep going, you know, oh, what is weird? Weird doesn't actually exist. Weird to me is the suburban lifestyle and you, you know, you're four before and your kids and soccer practice. The white picket fence. Yeah, you know, that's weird to me. I mean, that is fascinating to me. I think I've said this before and um, I think if I did one recently, a friend who lives in the US um, and I was saying the parts of America which interest me are the ones I find fascinating and that is stuff like suburban America because it's so far removed from, you know, middle England in a terrace house. So I look at it and go, no, that's, that's fascinating. Like, you know, throwing me into a dark forest. Yeah. It's interesting and I'll enjoy it. It'll be fun. But throwing me into a white suburban neighborhood in the U S my God. (laughs) Stepford wives. Yeah. On on a hundred in it. It's, it is weird because when we, because again, obviously we, we still got that level of disconnect because, Mm. We we don't really I know we, we get like new houses, but we only sort of get this idea of white suburban America through film, through TV, through yeah. media. So it's obviously and then you get that whole thing of if there's been a murder in, in a in a white suburban area mm. and then you know when you've got them on you know on Fox News, well this just doesn't happen around here and I, I just don't understand. It's, yeah. How can I put you, not that you want to laugh, but it's like, are you for real? Yeah. You know, it, it's so, 
shocking. Well, yeah, think... you know, you know what I mean. It's... Yeah, yeah. It it throws you for six of just yeah. of of the complete different mindset. But then I think I've discussed this before of uh, the whole idea of I think there's a clear difference between how people in the UK approach the macabre and horror and anything like that versus people in the US and versus people in Europe. I think there's a very real change because like the US, they had a huge focus on urban legend. That, that was their yeah. thing. Urban legend was a massive thing for them. And the UK just wasn't really a thing because we had real horrors. We had, you know, we've got a medieval history and legends and Arthurians and, and mystics exactly. and all that kind of stuff. We, we had that embedded. And then the US, they were like, oh, well, we want to do horror, but what can we do? And it's like, well, the people we fear are the people around us. So we'll develop horror out of that. And then Europe went slightly further and like, well, we've got mystics and everything like that, but we're going to go really abstract with it, <laughs> really push that envelope. And, I, I, and then, you, yeah, like Japan as well. They've got, they've, they've, I feel like Japan have managed to del- meld the two between urban and mystic better yeah, than any I've, other place. I've, I've only got a very, very surface mm. knowledge of, of the Japanese stuff. But when you look at... Because a lot of their stuff is around like ghosts, yeah. and demons, and spirits. And I do, I'm gonna, I need to watch more Japanese horror because they just feed it straight mm. into their to their cinema because it is stuff that's so ingrained. And again, like you've said there, it's it's equivalent to our to sort of folk horror. You know, when you look at stuff like The Wicker Man, yeah. where it's you know sort of. I'm sort of bastardization of pagan and um, and druid rituals because again we've still got that level of disconnect because you know we don't know exactly what the what pagan rituals were and obviously we've got the the smear campaigns that were done by by the by the church over the years of oh, oh they were killing babies oh no they were sacrificing but what the yeah. really because then when you look at it and it, it's like well no we you know, they believed in, um, and again, I'm, I apologise for getting this really wrong to anyone that is uh, a follower of Druid Dr- Dr- or Pagan Beliefs, but, you know, when you look at the whole, yeah. looking at Mother Earth or the the Earth as the Divine, the whole the Green Man thing, and it's a very beautiful religion to look at if you, you know, if mm. you if you want to follow that path. I think it's quite, quite I don't know if you agree with, in in the uk we we still keep a, we keep a very solid line between those two things like we by that i mean kind of like so you get like even when we do horror when we make horror films and we go okay down the mystic line like you do when people write stories and stuff there's a very clearly defined line of this is society and this is magic this is you know yeah. this is everything mythical and this is society and we don't tend to blend the two you can have people cross over from one to another but we don't delve in and go okay well here's your microwave existing in society but here's your possessed microwave don't we don't tend to do that we go oh no here's a monster microwave which came over from mythology into our society and that's why it's in our society whereas in japan they obviously go down the ghost route and they go down everything which is doing that. They really get involved with the whole idea of, well, no, your society is ghost. There is no disconnect. They're, everything's fully ingrained in one another. Um, 
And I think because that is their culture, they, they in a sense, go further. They go more gory yeah. and they go into, because they have to, because they everyone's grown up with like, well, no, ghost is, ghost is everything. I go to work, but I still wear my, you know, my rune if I need to go to work and that kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, and in the US, they go just completely the other extreme and go, well, you know, there is no ghost, but everything will kill you. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. but, but you're right. It's because they haven't got that, that history you know mm. we know the story of how america came to be but you know like like we said there they they don't have this this tradition of arthurian legend you know that whole thing of well don't go to the end of them woods well what's mm. why what's gone there well demons yeah just demons There's, ghosts yeah, demons. Yeah, something something don't, out there yeah don't go too don't go too far in that boat well, why not? Um, sea serpent. In a way, like I, don't, I feel like we don't want to explain it. Like I don't know why. I feel like there's a there's a level of us just going, no, we want to keep a divide because we don't really want to explain it. We just want to go, no, that's that's over there. <laughs> it can be explained. It's just over there. It is beyond the woods. Um, yeah. we're, we're never really going to get into it. Which I think is, I, I think that comes back to the the idea of people like us i think you have to have a level of curiosity in your personality which makes you want to get into to horror or macabre interests i think if, yeah. if you were if you are even going into yeah. it anyway there has to be part of your personality which is just naturally inquisitive which is amped up a little bit compared to other people well that's it i mean look at the I know it's a bit cliche to say, but look at the not obsession, but look at how far now we look at serial killers. Mm. Now I've not watched episodes two and three yet, but the the Dennis Nielsen um, series started on ITV okay. um, on Monday night. David Tennant's playing him. That was the highest viewed. Well, episode one was the highest viewed drama on ITV um, with 9.2 million people watching it. Yeah. Now, is that people watching it for David Tennant? Is that people watching it because they want to see the Dennis Nielsen story? Mm-hmm. Is it? A, it's going to be a bit of both. In yeah. It's not just going to be one or, or the other. You, you've got two groups of people. Mm-hmm crossing over in yeah in a very fascinating way it's it's a strange in a way i don't i don't know if that'd be the right the curious is the right word i feel like there is a universe universality if that's even a word i'm pretty sure that's a word right we'll make it a word yeah it's a no word now patent pending um (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things of is there there's a level of fear which we all naturally have and yes. there's a level of survival which comes with that fear. And I think, like you say, there's, when you get something like a true crime, where the details are beyond imagination, your brain automatically goes, well, I need to watch this because I need to know what happened so it doesn't happen to me and to be comfortable with the idea that it didn't happen to me and it happened to somebody else. And it pushes that level of fear. And I think with horror, I think your brain goes a little bit further because you're able to make the disconnect and you're able to go, well, this was a bubble. 
what else happened? So you, some people will stop at the bubble and go, oh, okay, this happened. I've satiated my curious interest in what happened with this person. I don't need to know anymore. I know that bad things happen. Whereas when you are into horror, your brain just goes, hmm, well, is that the worst that could happen? Because maybe maybe more could happen. <laughs> and I feel a little disconnected from it, but we should we should go down this line, shouldn't we? Because I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I listen to so I weirdly I, I to say I make a podcast, I don't listen to many podcasts. I listen to last podcast on the left, who yes. cover a lot um, of true crime, obviously. Yes, um, I've I've listened to a few again. Kaz into them a bit more than me. She got me into them. Yeah. Um, but weirdly enough, um, they covered, and I don't know if you've listened to the episode, but I can, I can send you the link after this. They covered a murder that happened in my hometown in the 70s. Okay. I mean, there's a fair chance I've listened to it. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and this is the weird thing because the what happened isn't really spoke about mm. in in the town um and I, and I do want to be a bit sensitive here because the two yeah. as far as i'm aware the families do still live um if not in us at least very locally yeah that's fair. um that's fair. but as a sort of a an overview it was um a man who basically believed he was possessed mm-hmm. when over a couple of towns to receive an receive an exorcism that didn't go right and sadly unfortunately he returned home murdered his um his partner and 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 the dog Mm -hmm. and again as far as i'm aware this where this happened is roughly a 10 minute walk from where I am right now. Yeah. It's something that happened effectively down the road. Yeah. It doesn't get spoken about. There was very little press coverage. And like I said, this were in the, in the seventies. Yeah. And it's the stuff that happened within it and, and the attack, it, it was horrendous. Yeah. But it just feels like there's a disconnect because it isn't spoken about. Yeah. Because obviously, again, I completely understand if the families are still living locally, they they don't want to deal with it. But for then, last podcast on the left, which is this big American-based podcast to cover this thing that happened in my time. But again, I suppose that's the same as a British podcast covering a big murder in America. So again, you yeah. look at stuff like we, with Bundy or, or well, yeah, well, yeah, with, with Bundy, when he hit sort of the, you know, these small towns and when he would go into mm-hmm. the dorm rooms and stuff, or even with Columbine, and you think with, when Columbine happened, I mean, we'd, we'd have all still been kids at that time, but yeah, that yeah. was world news. World and that was this yeah. small, well, small town in America, which again was, what was so shocking for the American culture at the time, because yeah. this was white suburban yeah. America, and then middle America. You know, yeah. and that's it. And then, as we know, Marilyn Manson ends up getting a massive bulk of the blame. Eminem, you know, suddenly these men were told, "You're responsible for this." 
how how are we well that which leads it is which it leads it back to almost like the satanic panic when yeah Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne and all these bands were were being told you're responsible for these kids committing suicide you're responsible for these kids committing murders and I mean do do you ever <laughs> think of that as a, as a as an artist obviously I mean even mentioning there like artists like Eminem Marilyn Manson. Judas Priest, they went through huge amounts of backlash because what people associated with their work, even despite the fact they just wanted to make music, they just wanted to make yeah. music and that's what they were doing. Um, and nowadays, you you don't really see it. Like, you, it's not as big as it was. It wasn't as pre- isn't as prevalent. You see a lot about it to do with sex, but you don't see a lot about it to do with violence where people try to associate art with violence. Mm. I mean, obviously, you still, you're still you always going to get the people who come out here and say, oh, you know, violent films call violence, blah, 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 blah. But do you ever think about that when you're kind of creating work? Because obviously, dealing with things and looking at things which are in the macabre of how that is interpreted or a responsibility when you're creating work like that? Or do you worry that someone might come around and be like, well, you know, you're, you're profiteering off horror. You know, you're profiteering off fear. Is that, is that a concern? I, I mean, luckily, 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 I don't think I've ever done that. I mean, I think the nearest I've, I've come to something like that was right in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, when I reached out to all these different um, people, I, I reached out to to one studio um, and I spoke to a, a guy that were uh, sort of temping there. I said, oh, like, explain what I want to do. I, I sort of gave him a tail the hour of the show and I said, mm-hmm. this is, I want to make sure stuff's right. Can I just come in and have a chat with you? And he said, I haven't got an issue with it, but you need to speak to the, to the head guy. Right. Fair enough, I understand went and spoke to him um and this guy basically chewed me out and said how how dare you you're you're you don't know anything about this world how dare you write about this who do you think you are all right fair cop i'm not being funny but there's four or five other people that do want to talk to me mm-hmm. but i respect that you know you've been this lad of being tattooing you know, for 30 40 years i understand how he I, whether it was a bit of a miscommunication in what I was saying to him, because again, I didn't want to give everything away on Facebook, so I wanted to ask him a few questions. Yeah. Yes. But I think that's the closest that I've ever sort of come to that, because, but, but I, again, I understand exactly where this guy was coming mm. from. It's, just, it's quite a strange... Um situation i think we we put ourselves into when we do things like that i mean obviously as artists we 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 try to research and we try to be as respectful to a subject matter as possible but we do you know we force ourselves into situations we force ourselves into things which which are interesting i think there is a whole conversation there which could be had at some point of about cultural appropriation and things like that you know do do we even have a right to do things like that do we have a right to to make documentaries make films where the topic is not something which we are not something which we're involved with i know back in uni i wanted to do a photography project based around um japanese lolitas and get involved and and kind of 
research and basically find out about it because again i'd been just been led down the line of curiosity i looked at it and went this is incredible why what is this thing how is this thing and the very first step i made was probably heavy-handed in terms of just putting a post on a forum and saying oh hey would anybody be willing to talk to me about this and i instantly got shot down of no get the fuck out of here blah, blah, blah. and i i dropped it as a subject i fully dropped it as like i am not even opening that can of worms of, of what could come or, or what could be anything else um and i know like when i make work i mean when i make work i i tend to tread the line between full nihilism and 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 depression depression and thoughts like that and what is considered just kind of critical thinking so i think there there is a in a way there's a responsibility with our own curiosity to think okay you have to be somewhat self-aware of what you're putting out because it's so easy to be you know you to get people who would be curious who got into things like we did um just out of curiosity and then be misled and I, i think it's like obviously when you're on the the smaller scale as is you know we are neither of us are Marilyn Manson um, I mean as much as we want to be neither of us are Marilyn Manson um, well I've got all my ribs unfortunately wow so. <laughs> damn I haven't got a nose the size of this I mean I'm getting there but <laughs> you know when you're on the smaller scale you kind of forget about it um yeah yeah you just you put work out you expect people to laugh I mean I've got three calendars where they're they're full of demoralizing slogans which basically just tell you to end it um but i have to really tread the line and go okay if someone read this and then killed themselves or did something tragic then i have to think of like okay fuck you know just take a step back um and when it comes to you you know creating work especially in the macabre genre maybe maybe that is something we do as as uh british people is going we need to keep that line. We need to keep that, that like thin black line to say, well, no, I did this as fantasy. I did this as, you know, some level of disconnect. So yeah. you don't go off and do something. I think it is keeping that boundary. I mean, I would never, like, I would never ever intentionally aim to upset anyone mm-hmm. or to to cause offense because i'm not that that person at all but you know when i've spoken out about my politics in in the first book and obviously um without saying too much the one that's in in the second book Mm -hmm. i know i can stand by that i mean for me especially when it's in the second book that's the most political one that's in there because again within the context it's still horror yeah that tongue is firmly in my cheek it's yeah to me it's political satire which is what we are lacking at the moment Mm -hmm. but again i think we've almost got to that nihilistic stage of look what else is trump going to say folks what's boris going to say we've just got to that point where in a loving way (laughs) it's just just get on with it. What's next? Yeah. Twenty twenty. What's next? You know, I, the, there's aliens in in the in the atmosphere of Venus now. Yeah. That's fine. Kill a hornet. You know what? Yeah. Okay. I think it's, it's a strange thing as well. I think, in a way, horror and like horror science fiction and like you say, political satire, they all face a challenge right now, which we have never really had to face 
in terms of art and a genre, which is that reality is stranger than fiction right now. You know, definitely. If, if you think about the year, you think you're a sci-fi writer. How many sci-fi writers have canned a book this year because it contained a pandemic? Like, well, this is. I mean, this is something that I've, I've spoken about with some friends before, and me and Kaz have had this conversation as well. Where is first of all in terms of if we take it back to films first of all where's pandemic horror going to go because mm. i don't think we're going to see a pandemic based horror film now for a little while see i went i went completely different and i thought we'd go the other way i reckon 2021 will be filled with bad screenplays about pandemics there probably will be because <laughs> again there's been this whole internal joke within the poetry and script writing community that mm. You know, we're going to get pandemic, the musical, or the yeah. the COVID monologues. We're we're gonna we're gonna get that, yeah. which I I try to avoid because I just saw so much coming out, and I'm, it was it was like it's been said, yeah, it's yeah. been said. But if we're not going to see a return of COVID, well, of pandemic films for a while, zombie films, yeah, what? Because again, zombie films got into that trend, didn't it? Of, especially after 28 days later yeah it's a virus or it's man-made and mm. i in a loving way i would love to see a return to maybe not so much white zombie as in the lugosa film but sort of the mysticism side but just sort of back to that return the living dead romero sort of it just happened yeah yeah. You don't need an explanation. The dead have just come back, which I think would make it... <laughs> I don't know if anyone's planning it, but would that make just a good end to 2020? December 2020, someone turns around and says, here's a fictional zombie film where just, here's the end of 2020, we've just got zombies on top of everything. Just why not? Just just slab zombies. Just I think it's, it's a strange thing, especially in cinema. Have, there is... I think in cinema there is a there's a risk of having to explain everything, and I think the Star Wars films suffered most from this. Is they wanted to explain everything, so they did, and then everyone complained because it, it removed the magic from it all. It removed for the whole idea of anything kind of tragic. But then when it comes to horror, I mean personally, like we say, in like a resurgence, I'd love to see a resurgence of films like The Reanimator. Yes. and things like that where it's okay we explain it but how do we explain it we explain it by literally going we made this it's not magic it's not something gone wrong we were intending to make something horrific you know we were lobotomizing yeah. people we were doing stuff like that and in a way i feel like that might be the way horror genres go because we've now experienced you know we experienced pandemic we've had yeah zombies we've had you know those kinds of things and we're stood going actually no what what is the worst humanity could do that we could put on a film and someone would watch for entertainment i feel like that it's got like a nice little twist of going yeah you know what we could do we could do some terrible things <laughs> so you know no no i get it like sort of that return to you know some of the, the i know it's cheese but like some of the old 50s b movies like the mm. old radiations caused the 50 foot woman or tarantula and you know stuff yeah. like that it, i mean it could i mean i think i mean as as we know screams making a comeback they're doing scream five the re, the re well it's gonna be a requel to Candyman. that should have come out that's now been pushed back till next year 
um, which both of those are, you could argue have purely come off the success of the Halloween reboot the other yeah. year, which if done right, I'm all for. I'm still waiting on a new Friday the 13th. I'm waiting on a on a re-reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street. I'd yeah. love to see Robert Englund come back and do that. I really... And why, like, <laughs> Because why not? Just, I don't know. I feel like with Robert Englund, you just, you're, in, you're just beating a dead horse at some point because it's just like, he's just been in it over and over. It's, I, it's like Doug Bradley, though. Doug Bradley stuck with yeah. Pinhead for so, so long. Yeah. And then when it got to that point when Dimension Films were saying... We need to keep the rights. We're just going to make another film. All oh, right, okay. Um, when are you looking to film this? Oh, we're filming it in two weeks. There's your script back. I'm not doing this. Yeah, yeah. That's he's stuck with it for so long. I think that's. I mean, so me and my friend Brett, we watch a lot of bad films you can get from CDX. So we, we go to CDX and the 25p, 50p films. We pick up as yes. many of them as we can. Um, and you notice a trend with them in the aliens and horror go hand in hand in those scripts yeah. all the time when you think of mainstream horror films aliens are very much separate you don't you don't you know since the 80s we've moved away from it no one goes oh we've got we've got this coming out and now it's an alien craft landed and, and all this kind of stuff for some reason we just went now nah, you know what aliens we don't really they're a sci-fi thing they're not a horror film they're an action film yeah fodder. It, it got... But that's it. You look at the original Alien and it's a haunted house movie. Yeah. They are trapped. It's in one location. There is the monster and that's it. Obviously, Cameron turned around and said, oh no, I want to make Vietnam in space and that led to Alien, which God, that is a brilliant film. Um, That's a hell of a pitch as well to walk into a movie studio and say, so what do you want to make? It's like, I want to make Nam in space <laughs> and i like to think there was a pause and he pulled off full on just like leaned in and just in space <laughs> Maybe why not wink. go for it um but then you're right you sort of then aliens was probably the last big alien film in the 80s apart from et again polar opposites of, of alien based films and then we didn't really get anything big then to what independence day in 96 97 yeah but then yeah again independence day you'd already you'd already jumped to action film by the time independence it, it becomes yeah. it becomes a, it was part of that whole disaster film trend of the 90s you know we had independence day armageddon uh dante's peak and you had all that sort of bubble in the 90s where will smith were just in everything. just in everything yeah I feel like I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know if I could take too much Will Smith. I feel like he should be back in things, but I don't want him back in action films. I want Will Smith back in comedy. I want another. It, it'd be nice to see him do a, a Men in Black that wasn't terrible, mm. or a Wild I mean, Wild West sequel. I've got no qualms. Wild Wild West. People crap on Wild Wild West, and Wild Wild West was fantastic. Like as a. a if you watch it as a child, that film is fantastic. And then you watch it as an adult, you're like, okay, there's a lot of problems with this film. But still, in terms of like a campy Western sci-fi, what, what do you want from that film? It is better than Cowboys versus Aliens. It's better yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. It's I think, better. you know, I mean, in a way, that might be that might be the crux of what comes for horror. Like we've spent 
the last decade getting gradually darker and more realistic with all fiction. Every single fiction is, oh, we're getting dark with this. And I think Cowboys and Aliens. Well, he, here's a new Batman. Yeah. Darker, grittier Batman. Here's darker, grittier Spider-Man. And... Yeah. And it's, it's everything took a downturn. Even teen films. They like, now we're making them grittier. It's edgier. We're doing, you know, Looper and, and Jennifer's Body. And, and we were just like stacking and stacking and stacking. And even romance comedies, they're more of a serious line along them. It's like, I feel like we're at such a juxtaposition where campy and kitsch could make a comeback. I think it's going to need to. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a positive way, we not to take away from, from this weird situation that we as a global community are in, mm-hmm. we're going to need to laugh again soon. Yeah. And you know what? If that means that Simon Pegg and Nick Frost say, right, we're going to make another zombie cop. We're going to make Shaun of the Dead 2, for example. If yeah. it means that, I don't know, they do, they start to do some horror reboots of the old Vincent Price, but keep it set in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. We're going to, we need it. We're going to need to laugh at things again because laughter and well it's it's the whole thing of comedy and tragedy isn't it we're gonna need to laugh at some point yeah we need to i think as i mean in a way you could say is that it it, we've seen it before to use it to like historical examples of that's what came out of the 50s you know the 50s they started making carry-on films because everything was bad and they needed something yeah. completely removed from everything else. I watched a thing about it recently about uh, American sitcoms post 9-11. Pre-9-11, every sitcom in the US was based in New York. Post 9-11, everything moved out of New York apart from Friends and Seinfeld. Everything. They, did, they, they picked everything up and it all went to the, like, the Midwest and middle America and all your sitcoms started being based in suburbia and off the beaten track places because they had to remove themselves from the content. And I think because we're in a situation where the world is in such a globally known dark way, obviously the world is always in a dark way one, more, one way or another, but because it's very on the, the cusp of everyone's knowledge, I think you're going to have to go zany and that's something which studios aren't comfortable with. So when it comes to creators down the line, I mean, like yourself, you know, you release a horror poetry. It's, it's, it's on that edge of like going, Oh no, we're taking something and we're just, we're just going, yeah, this is fun now guys. You know, we can enjoy things when it's dark. (laughs) That's it. I mean, that's what, and again, it was Richard that said it, which I'm glad he picked up on when, when he first looked at it. Um, this, this isn't dark and depressing. I didn't want it to be. You'll know from, obviously, because you've read it, it's a love letter. It's, it's celebrating a passion and a love and a community that, again, is global. Yeah. You know, it... I think there's nothing wrong with the human experience, with a curiosity in in death, in the macabre. I mean, 
nihilism can be put. I mean, I know Rick and Morty sort of did it quite well, but again, it, it ended up in quite a meme culture, almost for Chinese sort of yeah. bubble. But then you look at something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. And again, the obviously the the creators of that show are incredibly left-wing, very progressive, very liberal people, but they play horrible, nihilistic characters that are the complete opposite. Yeah. And they aren't the heroes in that. They are terrible people, and they are meant to be terrible people. Yeah. You look at Bottom, when, when Bottom was first sort of being generated by, by Rick and, and Aid, it was based on Waiting for Godot, which yeah. is, again, I've not had a chance to see the play, but I understand the story. It, it's just nihilist because it's the play where nothing happens. Yeah. These characters are stuck in this world and these situations are happening to them that we as outsiders get to laugh at. Because again, it's that level of disconnect. Because again, Bottom got so incredibly out there because effectively it was pantomime, wasn't it? You know, yeah. In terms of the slapstick comedy. But that's what works is these two characters are just so desperate and for something to happen that, you know, ends up resorting to slapstick violence. Yeah. How far I think fine. That's it, where everything's fine at the end of the day. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's, it's a nice kind of sentiment to round this out to. I think as creators, as artists, Obviously, there is value in being sincere. I think there's there's value in creating work which is is present and emotional and and important. But I think, as well, recognizing that you can go to extremes is quite hard for a lot of artists. And I think yeah. it, you you can go to you know complete novelty just to help people. I think is, a, is an important message. Um, and when it comes to dark things as well, I think you, I think what what horror teaches us is you can you can look at the dark things and go, well, no, this can still be funny. It can still be dark, and yes, it is tragic, but there can be comedy in it. There can be levity in it, and there can be some nostalgia in it. And I think yeah. more people need to embrace that. Maybe no, I think more right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I, th- I think. I do think in these next couple of years we will see a return to mainstream horror again. Again, all all off that Halloween reboot of the of the year, which was brilliant. Um, it's going to wet the appetites again. I think studios are ready to take that risk. I mean, again, I know we don't know much about the movie, but to bring James Gunn into the the Suicide Squad recall, well, see, yeah. reboot, whatever it's going to be. And again, he's, it's going to be a violent film. I've no doubt about that. Yeah. But because he's using all these obscure 70s villains, mm-hmm. these really comical characters, I think we're going to see a really, like we said there, a, a good juxtaposition between this incredible over-the-top violence with these ridiculous super villains yeah i'm looking you know i'm looking forward to it especially again I, don't get me wrong i love my the superhero genre i love what marvel's done 
Mm-hmm. But there's some days you just want to sit and think, you know what? I just want to stick Michael Keaton Batman on. I want to stick on Batman Returns. I just want yeah. nostalgia and just a little bit of fun. Yeah, I want something me- super serious with something completely ridiculous exactly. in one hand ba- one hand basket and i think exactly. yeah that's a nice point to round out there simon i think it's been lovely to talk to you i'm looking forward to seeing, doing this yeah and i'm looking forward to seeing how how the book goes with everyone and, and checking out that's it um it's out on the 9th of october uh mm-hmm. if you go to the uh, plastic brain press website you can pre-order it right now and it'll be available in this wonderful hard, well technically it's paperback but this wonderful hard copy you know something that's that's tangible that you can hold yep. in your hands home with you yep and um and in kindle as well and Magic. like i say it's i'm in love with it and i'm allowed to be in love with it oh yeah i'm allowed to be yeah. But I'm friends honestly, with <laughs> that's it. I mean, like I say, obviously you've seen it yourself. The yeah. the illustrations that Mel's done inside the editing work that Richard's done. I'm really fucking proud of this one. I think you should be, Sam. I think you should. <laughs> and with that, it's been lovely, and we will talk to these guys later. Bye. Talk to you later.